This is Marcus Paul in the morning. Want more news and genuine talk on the radio? Then stick with us. Well, good morning. Great to have you company. It's a Monday as we get into another brand new week around Australia. Marcus Paul in the morning. How about you give me a call and let me know what's on your mind. I hope you had a wonderful weekend. It's Monday, February the 22nd. My telephone number, the open line, it's there for you. 13 12 69, 13 12 69. If you'd like to send me a text, the text line is there for you as well. 0458 049 209. And, of course, emails MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. All right, so what's coming up on the program today? Quarantine in our regions. Well, I'm going to speak to a mayor of one of New South Wales's largest regions, Dubbo. The mayor is Ben Shields. He says that regional mayors are at odds over quarantine facilities in their areas. So we'll speak to uh, Ben on the program just after 6.30 this morning. Also, just after 7 o'clock, David Shoebridge, MP, is becoming a regular on a Monday. David will set up exactly what's taking place in New South Wales Parliament this week. So Dave's on the program. Being a Monday, we'll catch up with Nikki Fay, of course, socially speaking, and with big changes, as we all know, to Facebook. In the last few days, Nikki will break some of that down. And what does it mean for small businesses? Well, unless they're, a, I guess, a news organisation, it doesn't m- mean that much. Anyway, more detail coming up with Nikki a little later this morning. But I'd love to hear from you. Let me know what's on your mind. We'll bring you all the news. But we just need your views, okay? Be a part of the program. 13 12 69, the telephone number. All right, the COVID-19 preventative rollout is effectively underway. Essential healthcare and hotel quarantine workers, as well as aged care and disability residents, will be first in line to be inoculated. Well, of course, the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, he received a jab yesterday, along with some others. I think it happened in Castle Hill in Sydney. Now, our RACP President, Professor John Wilson, says it's a landmark moment for Australia. Well, I guess the question to you is, will you receive the COVID-19 vaccination? If you're a hotel quarantine worker, you'll have no choice. If you're an essential healthcare worker, you will also have no choice. If you work in aged care, around disability residents, you will also be inoculated. But I'd love to find out whether you would. So give me a call. Do do people still have hesitations about this? I'm sure plenty of people do. And if so, why? Give us a call. 13 12 69, the telephone number. Just an early one here for our listeners up there in the Hunter region. And police have been in touch with the program early this morning. They're asking for our help to locate a woman reported missing from the Hunter. Her name is Kim Searle. She's 38 years of age, and she was last last seen leaving a Newcastle property last week. Police and family hold concerns for Kim Searle's welfare. If you can assist there, 1-800-333-000. Of course, her loved ones, her family, would be missing her terribly. So if you can assist, uh, give the Crime Stoppers hotline a number. You can do so anonymously. 
on one eight hundred triple three triple zero. Now, boy oh boy, things are getting even more nasty by the day in Canberra. A third woman has claimed she was sexually assaulted by the same man allegedly involved in the Brittany Higgins scandal. She's come forward in the last 12 hours that followed over the weekend, a separate woman also coming forward. Now, in an exclusive report in The Australian, the woman, a Liberal Party volunteer during the last election campaign, alleged she was sexually assaulted after a night drinking with the then political staffer. The woman who claims the assault happened five years ago spoke on the condition of being anonymous and reportedly supported her allegations with a statutory declaration. She told The Australian that she was not long out of school when she joined campaign volunteers just days before the election. The woman said the former male staffer, had bought several rounds of double-strength vodkas and three tequila shots for the woman over the course of a night. Look, this bloke is sounding more and more like a predator each and every day. The story goes on, and we'll update you on the latest in in regards to Brittany Higgins. She is obviously now, thank goodness, free of harassment and haranguing from... The federal government, she is now speaking to the Australian Federal Police. I don't know what's going to happen with this with this bloke, but we do need to be very careful, of course. I want to ensure that he gets a, f- a fair trial. But the bigger story here, with respect, the bigger story here, in my opinion, continues to be the cover-up. I mean... <laughs> The fact that this is all out in the open now after a very brave Brittany Higgins spoke and went public. And by the way, I'll play some audio very soon of some of the latest from the project. And uh, I saw Lisa Wilkinson last night make a, a very good, well, editorial piece on the program which updated Brittany's situation. But there's obviously a culture within... Canberra within the Federal Liberal Party that needs to change. Uh, Look, he's not looking good, unfortunately. I'm talking about Prince Philip. Uh, A tearful Prince Charles visited Prince Philip in hospital. The heir to the throne appeared emotional after leaving the hospital where the 99-year-old husband of the Queen is being treated. We can only hope that he's, well, fingers crossed, and going to re-emerge from hospital. He's a, he's a pretty pretty tough bloke, is Phil the Greek, but you do have to worry and wonder whether, you know, this stay in hospital will be his last. All right, uh, there's a, a new uh, Ozpol survey out today, another opinion poll, and the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, is apparently even more popular than ever. Despite the fact that News Poll have a 50-50 share of two-party preferred, so in other words, Labor and Liberal, on a federal level, are neck and neck. But the Prime Minister Scott Morrison's popularity has surged 
as Australia's vaccination program kicks off today. Yesterday, there he was, ScoMo, another photo opportunity, I have to say. (laughs) He had a change of clothes and everything to get the jab, but whatever, that's just what the marketing man does. But um, this morning, what is concerning is the fact that Anthony Albanese, according to this opinion poll, Albo's popularity continues to dive. What does that mean for Labor at a federal level? Will we see some more agitation from perhaps Jim Chalmers and others for a leadership change? I'm not quite sure. Alrighty, 13 12 69, if you would like to have you say, Marcus Paul in the morning, 13 12 69. Want more news and genuine talk on the radio? Then stick with us. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, John's on the open line. Morning, John. Good morning, mate. Uh, I'm one that's hesitating uh, for the jab because I've got cancer and sugar diabetes and uh, a few other things wrong with me. And, you know, it's all right for ScoMo to get up there and get a jab, uh, but he hasn't got cancer. No, no. He's got sugar diabetes or anything. No, but wouldn't you be exempt? So what are you saying to me? You're not going to get the jab? Well, I'm hesitating uh, because overseas uh, people no. with uh, you know, diseases and that have died because they had the well, name. Look, I would suggest that you just speak to your doctor. Speak to your doctor. Yeah, don't don't listen to with... the news or what people overseas have been up no, to. No, no, what's... mate. No, uh, I, I am going to my doctor and ask him for his advice. Uh, but, you know... Well, that's the best uh, thing to do. Don't be distracted by uh, reports of no, what's happened no, overseas. or You know, uh, when it comes to the COVID-19, and this is what I'll be saying to everybody uh, that maybe rings and expresses a bit of concern about the COVID-19 vaccination, I won't be giving you any advice. All I will say is that you need and should speak to your doctor. So speak personally to your doc- doctor because he or she is the correct person to give you the right advice on whether the COVID-19 vaccination is for you as the rollout gets underway today. Wake up in the morning. Wake up. Marcus Paul has Sydney talking. All the news and the views. Marcus Paul, weekdays from 5am on 2SM. Well, here we are. It's Monday. It is February the 22nd. And I'd love to hear from you. Give me a call. 13 12 69 is the telephone number. Marcus Paul in the morning. 13 12 69, the telephone number. Great to have your company on this Monday morning. Two teenagers have been arrested following a house fire in Goulburn. Now, the house in Goulburn went up uh, in flames just before 6 o'clock yesterday morning. Fire crews were called and they extinguished it fairly quickly, but the two boys, aged 13 and 14, were caught. Police allege they threw a table through a window of the house and then poured accelerant or petrol of some sort around the home before setting it alight. Scary considering there were two people inside at the time. Fortunately for them, the two people, the two occupants of the house, they escaped injury and the blaze. What the 13 and 14-year-olds doing? Throwing tables through windows and then pouring accelerant around a home and setting it on fire. 13 and 14, I mean, where the hell were their parents? (laughs) 
Well, they'll be dealt with under the Juvenile Offenders Act, which means they'll probably be free to get out and do it again next weekend. Peter, are you there? I am, MP. How are you? All right, thanks, Pete. What's on your mind? Oh, I just listened to that man bring up John. I think it was about his diabetes and that. Yeah. I was uh, saying to Justin, I saw her on a Q&A three weeks ago. They had an expert panel of judges talking about COVID jab and all that. Yeah. And one guy, Terry, at the end of the the panel question answer guys said, uh, after 10 days, you could possibly get an autoimmune disease from this needle. Okay, well, yes, you could possibly, you could possibly get a whole range of side effects, if you like, from from getting the Pfizer jab. But yeah, again, that's that was, why... That was the one, yeah, but Pfizer. It wasn't the other, AstraZeneca. And I'm just thinking, yeah. I got needles to go overseas four years ago, and then I got come back from Vanuatu. I got diagnosed with rheumatoid. Mm. I'm thinking, mm, I don't know. Look, I'll wait for you now. Again, uh, my advice is... Talk to your doctor. Talk to your yeah. doctor. Anyone that has oh. concerns about whether or not they should get this COVID-19 vaccination, I'm not a health expert, so I won't advise anybody either way. Um, but I would speak to your doctor, mate. Yeah, I'll be waiting. I think I'm about third in line or something. Oh, there you go. All right, buddy. Thank you so much. I appreciate the call. 13 12 69. All right, I've got a, a video that I'm going to put up on our social media page. Um, not that it's a news page or anything. <clears throat> Marcus Paul in the morning, we're on Facebook. <laughs> we're still there. I noticed on the weekend old Scruff put up a testing, testing post, and we got about 5,000 replies. By the way, we reached a million. Uh, we reached a million over the weekend for our Facebook reach. Anyway, I've got a video up of a, 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 a terrifying incident involving an aeroplane with its engine catching fire. Check it out. Please. away from six. Great to have your company. Give me a call. Let me know what's on your mind. You can follow us online, 2smsupernetwork.com. Just click on our show page. More allegations emerging against a former Liberal staffer again this morning after the Brittany Higgins bombshell of last weekend. I'll play you a little bit back from Lisa Wilkinson last night, uh, who uh, who spoke out again in support of Miss Higgins. Uh, but unfortunately... It would appear that this fellow has well some questions to answer, not only in relation to Brittany, but as I mentioned, a third person, a third woman, has now come uh, well made herself uh, well available for any police investigations. If you like, we'll see what happens. Look, in light of uh, all of this awfulness that seems to have occurred in Canberra, something that I think didn't get a lot of coverage was the Greens-led media diversity inquiry 
where none other than former Prime Minister and creator of Australia's largest petition, Kevin Rudd, appeared. Now, on Friday, Kevin Rudd told the committee chair, Sarah Hanson-Young, how Rupert Murdoch's toxic influence has lingered for decades on the Australian media landscape. He's taken down prime ministers and governments. He's set back climate action and helped create skyrocketing economic inequality. Um, Adam Bant, for instance, says billionaire media moguls shouldn't scare prime ministers. We need to fight back against their influence. I'll play a little of what uh, Kevin Rudd had to say at the inquiry for you very soon. Meanwhile, some 125 consumer and community groups are calling on a Senate Economics Committee, a committee rather, not to scrap safe lending laws. The laws were passed in 2009 following the global financial crisis. However, a proposal would end civil and criminal penalties for irresponsible lending. Well, hang on, why? Consumer Action Law Senate CEO Gerard Brody says the laws ensure loans are appropriate for customers. How many people do you know who've got themselves in a little bit of trouble by getting, you know, payday loans and um, other loans when they've been desperate for money, paying exorbitant interest rates? There needs to be consumer, uh, well, certainly protections in place for consumers and safe lending laws need to be in place so that lenders don't take advantage of vulnerable Australians. I would, I would suggest now more than ever. Now more than ever, even though, of course, we have the safety net of job seeker and job keeper payments coming down at the end of next month. 13, 12, 69, if you would like to have your say. All right, well, being a Monday, uh, kids are getting back to school, of course, this morning. A new policy briefing is warning that here in Australia, we are lagging behind many other OECD nations in enrolling our kids in preschool. Is that right? Enrolment rates are lower in children living in remote and regional areas, those with a disability and also Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children. I mean... Many say that the two years before a child enters school are vitally important. But a new policy briefing is warning that Australia is now lagging behind many other OECD nations in enrolling our kids in preschool. Why is that the case? 13 12 69, the telephone number. After 7 o'clock, David Shoebridge MP on the program. Uh, David will... Give me his view on Mick Fuller's tilt at the NRL job. Now, I was very critical on Friday of this story. I I would have thought that Mick Fuller had his hands full as it is, pun intended, Fuller, uh, with what's going on in Western Sydney. I look well done to Strikeforce Raptor and everybody involved in New South Wales policing. They had a blitz over the weekend. They made a number of arrests. They took a number of guns off the streets of Western Sydney, and that's fine, but keep up the pressure on... I mean, we've had uh, so many public place shootings in Western Sydney, and most recently, last week, as you know, we had a, a nurse simply going about a job in Auburn Hospital being hit by a ricocheting bullet that was fired into a property behind Auburn Hospital. This stuff can't happen anymore. 
So Mick Fuller needs to concentrate on cracking down on all of this Middle Eastern crime, whether it's warring uh, families with dodgy backgrounds. That should be his first and foremost responsibility, I would have thought, rather than involving himself in the NRL. Don't the NRL have people? Yes, they do. They pay people quite well. Catherine Lumby and others who are supposed to be ensuring that footballers behave themselves. But the NRL, first and foremost, needs to clean up its own backyard before we start bringing in, I don't know, police commissioners and others. That's my opinion. Maybe you disagree. 13, 12, 69. Also this week, uh, the start of budget estimates. So we'll speak to David Tubridge, MP, about that just after 7 o'clock this morning. Give me a call. Let me know what's on your mind. Uh, weather-wise, for stations sticking with the program, those who take Marcus Paul in the morning, Sydney today for 2SM listeners, you can listen 12.69am. You can stay with us on digital radio in Sydney and, of course, listen online, 2SMsupernetwork.com. But today for Sydney, medium chance of a shower, most likely this afternoon and tonight, maybe a thunderstorm in the west later on today as well. Tops of 27 degrees, a little warmer in the west. For the Central Tablelands this morning, g'day to you if you're listening to us via 2EL Orange in the Central West. Medium chance of showers on or east of the ranges. Slight chance elsewhere, the chance of a thunderstorm during this afternoon and tonight. Tops of 28 degrees for Bathurst and Orange. And good morning to you on the mid-north coast. FM 93.5 and Radio 531 Port Macquarie. Thanks to 40 Winks Port Macquarie. Marcus Paul in the morning. Well, for you today, slight chance of showers, most likely later this afternoon and tonight, and again the chance of a thunderstorm and tops of 29 degrees, so a little warm and sticky. Uh, Good morning as well for Coffs Harbour. Tops around 29 degrees for you as well for those listening on 2HC, 6.39am. Great to have your company. Marcus Paul in the morning, we'd love to hear from you. So one week on and what's been done, a really good piece last night, I thought, from Lisa Wilkinson. Well, six days have passed since our interview with Brittany Higgins. And after a week of high emotion, political tears and denials, it feels like the right time to return to some important facts. 24-year-old Brittany Higgins was allegedly raped by a colleague in Parliament House in March of 2019. Deeply traumatised and afraid of losing her dream job as a junior staffer, she turned to two powerful women in Australian politics for help. Her boss, Linda Reynolds, a self-described champion of women and the Minister for Defence Industry, and another influential senior advisor to Prime Minister Scott Morrison. Months later, she also looked to her new boss, Michaelia Cash, a former Minister for Women and now Minister for Employment, hoping that she could make a difference. On the morning of the alleged rape, no ambulance was called and no medical help was offered, even though security guards had seen Brittany passed out and half-naked on the minister's couch. In the months that followed, CCTV footage from inside Parliament House was never made available to Brittany, despite her repeated requests. Without it, she says she felt she had no choice but to discontinue her case. There are now claims of a deep clean at the alleged crime scene and a softening of official security guard records about what they witnessed that morning. 
Still, Canberra tried to convince us they supported Brittany. At the time, I truly believed that I and my chief of staff were doing everything we could to support that young woman who I had responsibility for. Despite reports that privately they were dishing dirt on her closest confidant. The Prime Minister's office has been backgrounding that her now partner has a vendetta or a gripe, might be the better way to put it, against the government because of him being a former public servant. All the while, the PM maintained he only became aware of Britney's alleged rape on the morning our interview aired. I can tell you I knew about it on Monday. And, and frankly, it shattered me. It absolutely shattered me. Even though admitting we sought comment from some of the most senior people in his office three days earlier. Yet Australia is being asked to accept that when allegations of a shocking assault on a woman's personal security occurs in the office at the heart of our national security, there's no protocol to inform the Prime Minister or some of his senior team as to the precise detail. Raising more questions, this text exchange almost two years ago between Brittany and another Liberal staffer shortly after the alleged rape. Spoke to Prime Minister's office. He was mortified. If this really never reached the Prime Minister, it does beg the question, what else doesn't Scott Morrison get told? Faced with Brittany's disturbing claims, three out of the four investigations announced this week will be carried out by the PM's own people. The fourth, a bipartisan committee, won't begin for months. Parliament's culture encouraged some of the senior teams surrounding the Prime Minister to see a woman asking for help as a political problem first and a person in need a distant second. This is a culture the PM has presided over for three years. Prime Minister, you indicated this week that after a full day to consider the horror of what Brittany says she experienced, you needed your wife to tell you how to react. I wonder if that means that you too have now fallen victim to that culture. Mm. Yeah, very well said from Lisa Wilkinson last night on the project. What do you make of it? 13, 12, 69... Marcus Paul in the morning. Uh, a quick break and then we're back. I'd love to hear from you this morning. Uh, I don't know whether anybody can see that video I've put up there, Scruff. Um, we'll see. Uh, we've got a, uh, a story out of the United States. It's a little scary. Uh, it's United Airlines Flight 328. <clears throat> um, the Boeing 777-200's right engine failed shortly after takeoff. It's not good. Look, I wouldn't suggest that you have a look at it if you're about to hop on an airplane this morning. Everybody was okay, but uh, this um, engine, you can see very clearly on fire, dropping debris on houses below. Very scary stuff. It's all over the television news this morning, um, and it's a bit of a concern. But thank goodness the plane was able to, end, uh, to land safely. And no one was injured. It's a miracle that no one was injured, certainly on the ground from that falling debris right in front of a house. You've got the outside of the Boeing 777's engine, massive coil of steel that landed just literally a metre or so from a house. Thank goodness it didn't land square on the house. It probably could have demolished it.
Yeah, Marcus Paul in the morning. We're off to the news in just a couple of moments. At 6 o'clock, 13, 12, 69 is my telephone number. One tiny jab for ScoMo, one giant leap for Aussies. <laughs> Front page of the Daily Telegraph. Victory over the virus is finally in sight. The first vaccine does, uh, doses rather, have been delivered and Scott Morrison said every step Australia takes now is toward normality. The Prime Minister sat with World War II survivor Jane uh, Malasiak, who's an 84-year-old. She became the first Australian to receive the Pfizer vaccine before he rolled up his own Australian cricket shirt sleeve with ScoMo on the back for a photo op. He said the mission to vaccinate all Australians starts today. Look, I understand the importance of it. V-Day, if you like. Or Jab Seeker, as it'll now be known as. Not Job Keeper or Job Seeker, but Jab Seeker. Look, it is important. I get all of that. But why does this bloke every single time need to make it all about him? Honestly. Why? 13, 12, 69... I mean, is the Prime Minister's jab preferential treatment? Well, I suppose he is our Commander-in-Chief. He needs to be safe, as we all do. Uh, Scott Morrison got his COVID-19 shot at Castle Hill yesterday. He expressed hope the campaign would help remove the need for repeated state border closures. Well, I agree with that. But again, the whole circus, there was a, you know, a costume change and all the rest of it. Again... More of the PR and the marketing. It's not about the Prime Minister, I would have thought. I mean, it's, again, what do you expect? We've got a mob that puts the Liberal logo on these things, so I guess it stands to reason that he'll want to get a photo opportunity with it. 13 12 69, the telephone number. I would have thought Scott Morrison had more on his plate than worrying about getting a jab himself and including more allegations of another rape. 13, 12, 69 news time. Less ads means more of your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, welcome back to the program. Hello, if you're just joining us for the first time this morning on this Monday, February the 22nd, Marcus Paul in the morning. Great to have you company. My telephone number 131269. It is the 22nd day of February. Hope you had a wonderful weekend. A few showers around for our stations listening to the program this morning. Those in Sydney, partly cloudy, maybe a shower later, tops of 27 degrees. Uh, Bathurst and Orange, good morning to you for the Central Tablelands, 28 degrees. Chance of a thunderstorm maybe tonight after a couple of showers later in the afternoon. And for stations on the mid-north coast, thanks to 40 Winks, Port Macquarie, good morning to you, tops of 29 degrees. Again, a chance of a thunderstorm this afternoon and tonight. Likewise for 2HC listeners on uh, in Coffs Harbour. It's great to have you company. Look, estimates. That's in New South Wales. Budget estimates start Thursday with Aboriginal Affairs and Industrial Relations. And on Friday is Department of Communities and Justice. It'll all be a focus on child protection. There's a lot to look at in child protection. The government spends more than 80% of the money on taking children away and putting them in care and only a fraction on responding to families in distress and helping them stay together 
So David Shoebridge on the program about this. He believes we need to have a big change there and focus far more on early intervention and helping rather than waiting for things to spiral out of control and then, well, I guess, taking the children and splitting up families. Well, apparently the ARL Commission Chairman Peter Volandis is dejected but remains defiant and says that he has no regrets about pursuing the the state's top cop for the vacant seat on the governing body, a move which was sensationally dumped over the weekend. Mr Volandis has lost his fight to appoint New South Wales Police Commissioner Mick Fuller to the commission due to legal advice received by the government. Mr Volandis was told during a conversation with Premier Gladys Berejiklian that Mr Fuller could not hold both pay positions regardless of the fact he would have donated his annual $75,000 ARL Commissioner's salary to Police Legacy. Now, I'm not real sure about this. I would have thought the police commissioner had bigger things to worry about. Look, well done. I mean, the recent bloody spate of drive-by shootings forced police into action over the weekend. This This is in Sydney's west and southwest. They're ratcheting up the pressure in these areas as a feud continues to simmer between two families. In fact, the whole thing's probably now turned into all-out gang warfare. The Raptor Squad, that is the squad tasked with stamping out the escalating violence, spent three days with the riot, highway transport, aviation and dog squads running a disruption mission with the Fairfield and Auburn police crews over the weekend. Operation Talon handed out 44 firearm prohibition orders, searched more than 100 cars and also searched around 100 people. Some cars were defected and 17 charges were laid. So that blitz, absolutely, let's hope it puts a a bit of a dent in any future escalating violence in Sydney's southwest. Because as we know, in Auburn, last week we had a, a nurse that was just going about a job in Auburn Hospital hit by a ricocheting bullet that was fired into a home behind Auburn Hospital. This can't happen. Needs to come to an end. 13 12 69, the telephone number. But my point is, again, I would have thought that the New South Wales Police Commissioner, and I know he does a wonderful job, he absolutely does, I would have preferred that he stays looking after New South Wales Police. They need all the help they can get on stamping out this violence and bloodshed that's occurring in... Sydney's western suburbs and southwestern suburbs with organised crime families going at each other hammer and tong. We need to clamp down on this and ensure that no more innocent people are injured and that the violence stops. Meanwhile, a New South Wales man who murdered a beauty queen more than 20 years ago is being hunted by police after allegedly breaching his parole conditions... This bloke, his name is Jay Short, he's 46. He was found guilty of murdering Alison Lewis at the time she was only 19. She was last seen just before she went to meet friends for a late night dip at a swimming pool after partying at a Lithgow nightclub back in 1997. 
The local beauty queen's body was later found buried in a long jump sand pit at an athletics oval. Jeez. A post-mortem examination ruled that she died of strangulation. Now, this Jay Short was convicted of murder and jail for 20 years in 1998. In handing down his sentence, Justice Brian Sully said the murder of Miss Lewis was wicked. Now, Short appealed his conviction, but that was dismissed, and he was finally released on parole in December back in 2016. Police said he is now wanted on an outstanding warrant related to the alleged breach of his parole for drug and domestic violence-related offences alleged to have occurred in 2017. So just one year after this grub was let out of jail, this convicted murderer, as far as I'm concerned, he has no place on our streets. Now, he is known to frequent the Arncliffe, Strathfield, Newtown, Port Kembla and Lithgow areas. This Jay Short, if you know of him, one 800 Police obviously would like to have a long conversation with the bloke. 13 12 69, the telephone number if you'd like to have you say. It's a quarter past six. Marcus Paul in the morning. A security review has been launched after a breach at one of South Australia's many hotels in a blunder that authorities never publicly disclosed, apparently. Two male cleaners entered the city's Pullman Hotel in Highmark Square on Saturday night. Despite that being a so-called red zone or a no-go zone, the unidentified pair mistakenly entered through the back door on February 6th. The breach, which the South Australian opposition described as shocking and staggering, forced the cleaners into mandatory quarantine as authorities scrambled to establish how they wrongly gained access. Well, we know that, unfortunately, when you're dealing with quarantine and uh, people are locked away in hotels, that sometimes there's going to be some mistakes made. Let's just hope it doesn't lead to further COVID-19 cases in South Australia. Something I want to get into this morning as well is some news. And look, it's not surprising, unfortunately. But family law disputes have escalated during the COVID-19 chaos. One story reported by... Janet Fife Yeomans in the Murdoch Press today says a domineering mother who tried to use COVID as a weapon in a custody battle met her match after she posted a sign on her front door stating her son had to stay home by government order. The family court was told the boy's father changed it to read mother's nutty order and he's won the right to see his son again. It is just one of the hundreds of emergency disputes involving children being heard in the family courts as warring parents are hit with the emotional and financial impact of the pandemic. One judge has gone so far as to say that the situation is chaotic. Now, a number of cases are currently before the courts. One includes a frontline worker who had to fight to see her 12-year-old daughter again after initially agreeing it was safer for her to live with her father and a man who has been allowed to return to the UK with his 15-year-old daughter despite the pandemic and Britain's tough COVID lockdown. Federal Circuit Court Judge Patrick O'Shaughnessy referred to the chaos of the COVID-19 regime as he dealt with a family split between New South Wales and Victoria and battling the COVID travel restrictions. 
Over 430 disputes have been heard as a matter of urgency within three or seven days of being filed since the Family Court and Federal Circuit Court set up a COVID-19 list in April of last year. Families had experienced law disputes as a direct result of the pandemic. Chief Justice Will Alderston, head of the Family Court of Australia and Federal Circuit Chief Judge, said yesterday. Wow, there we go. If you have a story like that and you want to share it with us, 13 12 69, the telephone number. OK, it's 18 and a half after six. Marcus Paul in the morning emails, MP in the morning at 2SMSupernetwork.com. And of course, you can always send a text to us, 0458-04920. Sydney's own 2SM 1269. While the other mob's playing thousands of ads in between reading scripts... We're bringing you all the news and views. Good morning, everybody. Morning. Marcus Paul, weekdays from 5am on 2SM. Yep, always first at 5, 13, 12, 69, my telephone number, 22 and a half minutes after 6. On this Monday morning, it's February the 22nd, and the Djokovic dynasty continues. Novak Djokovic extended his record for most men's singles titles at the Australian Open, claiming his ninth crown... He beat Daniel Medvedev in the men's singles final, 7-5-6-2-6-2. Yeah, Marcus Paul in the morning, 13-12-69 is the telephone number. I see the future king who's travelled to London to see Prince Philip. Uh, what is it now? Five nights in hospital uh, for the ageing monarch. Uh, well, he's not a monarch, of course, but uh, wow. I really hope he's going to be OK. 99 and apparently Charles was a little teary uh, when, photogra- uh, pho- when photographers photographers snapped him, leaving uh, the hospital. I hope Prince Philip's going to be OK, but there are concerns he's 99. 13 12 69, the telephone number. Port Macquarie will be among the first towns, suburbs and hubs to receive the new COVID-19 vaccine as the national rollout begins this morning. Now, the new, in New South Wales, the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine will go to three Sydney hospitals, including Royal Prince Alfred, Westmead and Liverpool. Aged care residents in Australia at more than 240 facilities will also receive their first COVID-19 doses from next week. I'll give you more detail on that story after 6.30. The news coming up next. Marcus Paul in the morning. What's your name? Marcus, Paul in the morning. Our hashtag water warrior is Murray MP Helen Dalton. I'm happy to say Helen joins us in the studio. You say that our watchdogs are turning into nothing more than lapdogs. It's because the government controls their funding. Last year, the Shooters, Fishers and Farmers Party introduced a bill into the upper house to make sure that watchdogs are independently funded and separate from the Premier and Cabinet. Yeah. Uh, And um, so as, as soon as tomorrow... We could be bringing that bill um, into the lower house, so I'll be taking carriage of that. Unless we can have some independent regulation or regulators, we will always have somebody rorting the system. While the other mob's playing thousands of ads in between reading scripts... 
We're bringing you all the news and views. Good morning, everybody. Morning. Marcus Paul, weekdays from 5am on 2SM. Okay, 24 minutes away from 7, 13, 12, 69 is the open line number. Well, uh, you know that phase 1A of the COVID-19 vaccination rollout has begun. Aged care and group disability care workers and residents, including residents of aged care and those with a disability living in disability residential accommodation, will receive their jabs this week. Quarantine and border workers, including staff at entry points to the country, staff working in quarantine facilities and Commonwealth employees, including defence personnel, who are identified as having the potential to encounter returning travellers as a part of their work, will also get the jab. Frontline health workers, clinical, medical students and admin staff most likely to be exposed to COVID-19, including staff in facilities or services such as hospital emergency departments, COVID-19 and respiratory wards, intensive care units and high dependency units, also laboratory staff handling potentially infectious, infectious material, ambos and paramedics, GP respiratory clinics, and COVID-19 testing facilities and other health workers, they'll all follow in Phase 1B. But what about quarantine facilities? I noticed this story over the weekend. Regional mayors are resisting calls for quarantine facilities for return travellers to be established in their areas. In fact, one of them, one of the mayors, the mayor of Dubbo, saying it would happen over his dead body. Ben Shields is the Mayor of Dubbo. He joins us on the program at 22 to 7. Morning, Ben. Good morning, Marcus. All right. Uh, Well, I don't know whether you're alone or not in your summation of this not happening in your area, but why would... uh, I mean, has the government spoken to you at all? Have they approached your local government area? Well, uh, we've got some movement when it comes to various people around the country that are talking up the idea of moving uh, quarantine to regional areas. We've got uh, suggestions by, for example, Adam Marshall, the the Agriculture Minister in the New South Wales government, is talking about moving uh, quarantine to regional areas. Now, there's various excuses for that, everything that they need, seasonal workers and and it's fairer and, and, and whatnot. I say it would be one of the most ridiculous things they could possibly do. And you've just got to plot out the reasons why, if someone was to land at Kingston Smith Airport right now in Sydney, to send them, say, to a place like Dubbo, they'd have to get on yet another plane to fly to Dubbo. Now, that's another uh, potential exposure risk to fly to Dubbo. Then on top of that, look at, um, say, again, I'm using Dubbo as just one example, all our hotels and motels. We've got motels which are 20 to 30 rooms. They're, uh, they're not like those big Sydney hotels where they're, say, 200 or 300 rooms where mm. the, the one door at the front where you can properly secure it. Yeah. These 20 or 30 rooms are largely located, the, the doors straight outside and uh, it's on a car park sort of thing. It's going to be very, very hard to keep it secure. And then on top, because there's so many of them at, and spread across the city, You'd need even more security guards for it, more, um, you know, more resources put into it. Then on top of that, in a place out here in the bush, our medical facilities are just nowhere near as good as what they are in the city. So uh, if there was a breakout, well, it would be, um, you know, it would be very, very hard 
to get our facilities up and going in as good condition as what it is already in the city. So there are just so many reasons why you shouldn't have it out in the bush. And uh, mm. I just think any suggestion to this is just plain crazy. All right. Well, as you say, the New South Wales Agriculture Minister Adam Marshall last month said a national quarantine centre for seasonal workers should be established in a regional location. That's something I, I see that's been rebuffed, if you like, by the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison. He said moving hotel quarantine to regional areas would only create another set of risks, including being far from major hospitals. Uh, and also the Health Minister of the State, Brad Hazard, He's rejected moving the state's hotel quarantine system to regional areas as well. So you've got some pretty uh, heavy support there. It's starting to... The, the thing is, is what, what happens with these sort of suggestions is that they start chipping away and eventually, um, eventually the idea spreads. So, yes, it's good that we do have the state health minister on site and even the prime minister on site. Yeah. But I hate to see that this continues to take carriage and uh, there's some sort of movement because of seasonal workers. Now, whether those seasonal workers do their quarantine out in the bush or they do it in Sydney... It's not going to cause any difference whatsoever in the amount of them coming in for the uh, for their the, the, uh, seasonal work. Effectively, yes, it is the case we need, desperately need seasonal workers out in the bush. In fact, we're looking at some sort of some crops and different other produce and that going to waste this year because yeah. we don't have the workers. But whether they're quarantining from overseas in Sydney or in the bush, it, it doesn't. It, it, it's not the point. The same will come in. I find it extraordinary that the Agricultural Minister would actually even suggest that as a way to get more through in the country if they're they're quarantining in the bush as opposed to the city. It does not make sense. Now, I would hate to see that this idea continues to take carriage and it continues to grow because it's not going to achieve any results for anyone other than potentially spread the risk further. All right, mate, before I let you go, uh, how are things in Dubbo at the moment? Are you starting to pick up now? We've got, to, obviously, restrictions eased and lifted in a number well, of areas. Did you know Dubbo's actually got the lowest unemployment rate in Australia at the moment at 1.4% compared to the rest of the nation at 7%? Not um, bad. We've got a golden era happening at the moment. In fact, tourism-wise, our um, major tourist attractions being the Taronga Western Plains Zoo has had its best ever year, so with our old Dubbo Jail and Wonderful. all the others. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, in fact, if they wanted motels here in Dubbo, they'd struggle to book them. All right, mate. Well, that is good news, <laughs> and it's great to have you on. We'll catch up again soon. No problem, Marcus. Thank you. All right, there he is, the Mayor of Dubbo, Ben Shield, saying it's absolute ludicrously uh, to suggest that regional New South Wales house quarantine facilities during the COVID-19 pandemic. I tend to agree. All right, well, we know on Friday um, there was a media diversity inquiry in Canberra and none other than former PM and the creator of one of the largest, well, in fact, the largest online petition in Australia, former PM Kevin Rudd gave evidence. He told the committee chair, Sarah Hanson-Young, how Rupert Murdoch's toxic influence has lingered for decades. He's taken down prime ministers and governments. He set back climate action and helped create skyrocketing economic inequality. 
And Adam Bant says that billionaire media moguls shouldn't scare prime ministers. We need to fight back against their influence. Here's just a, a little of what Kevin Rudd had to say at the inquiry on Friday morning. Do you believe that the Murdoch empire is a cancer on democracy? I've used this term a lot and I mean it. Because what a cancer does is it incrementally eats away at the political fabric, like a cancer does to your body. Uh, Here is a a classic um, uh, unbiased uh, Murdoch front page of the Queensland state election. Um, You don't deserve to win. It is the conflation of news reporting with editorial opinion. And this has been unfolding as a cancer in Australian journalism, news corporation journalism most spectacularly, over the last decade plus. Your conclusion that politicians are afraid of um, the power of the Murdoch press, when did you stop being afraid? Well, the truth is, um, as Prime Minister, I was still fearful of the Murdoch media beast. That's just the truth of it. I could pretend that I wasn't, but I was. I've spoken with Malcolm Turnbull about this a lot in recent times. Malcolm, in his period as Prime Minister, was fearful of the Murdoch media beast. Monopoly in any form, as a matter of principle, is just wrong. It doesn't have to be a monopoly in business. It could be a monopoly in politics. Look at one-party states. It can be a monopoly in news media operations where you have a concentration of power. Because of their capacity to not just determine the national agenda and conversation on a given day and a given week, fully deploying the heavy artillery of 70% of print uh, ownership to do so. The ideological projects which they are so wedded to, which is minimal tax, minimal regulation, and climate change science is a bunch of bunkum in their world. So there we go, former Prime Minister... Kevin Rudd not missing words. Uh, he's waited a long time to have his say uh, before the Senate's inquiry into media ownership in Australia, and he certainly let it let the Murdoch press have it with both barrels. How did they come back? Well, they again ran a smear campaign against him in all of their newspapers over the weekend. And not only in the major metropolitan editions either, in all of the regional newspapers, you know, like it was local news, for goodness sake. I mean, they disproved his point over the weekend by running, again, a smear campaign. And then, of course, you had uh, one of uh, the Murdoch press's favourites coming out and typically having a crack at Kevin Rudd and uh, I'm talking about the former uh, boss, if you like, of... Tony Abbott, Peter Credlin. She couldn't help herself. She had a good old crack at Kevin Rudd. Uh, and again, look, I, I understand that a lot of people may think differently on this, and everybody's entitled to their opinion, but again, Peter Credlin wrote on the weekend, and this is where it becomes to the point that I, I think that she's basically backing up what Kevin Rudd had to say. Kevin Rudd made a complete fool of himself on Friday fronting a parliamentary inquiry to campaign, uh, oh sorry, to complain about a Murdoch monopoly when it's the uh, censors and bullies of big tech that are the clear and present danger to free speech. Well, no, they're not, Peter. 
that you mob are just upset you've been taking off, taken off Facebook. Anyway, she goes on to write, Surely no one has forgotten that, in the lead-up to his stint as Kevin 07, Rudd courted Rupert Murdoch in New York City, including a late-night visit to a strip club with one of its editors. Um, and then she goes on, having a, another further dig at Kevin. Um, but doesn't that prove the point, Peter? Don't you think it's outrageous that any Prime Minister, let alone Kevin Rudd, needs to court a media baron, a billionaire who owns a disproportionate share of newspapers in particular in this country? I mean, that's the problem. That's the problem. Prime Ministers shouldn't have to court any media operators or proprietors. It's almost like they needed to go to Rupert to get permission to run the country. So... (laughs) I don't know whether you've realised, Peter, you've actually disproven his point in your hit piece over the weekend. Anyway, she then goes on to have a crack at big tech that, you know, again, was totally and utterly predictable, etc. I mean, the Murdoch uh, papers have run a uh, a really nasty uh, response to Facebook cutting news services on their feeds. Um, I mean, it's there for all to see. 131269, if you'd like to have a say on that. Now, um, after 7 o'clock this morning, what's happening in New South Wales politics this week? Well, it's all about numbers and estimates, budget estimates. They start this week. Aboriginal affairs and industrial relations on Thursday and on Friday, the Department of Communities and Justice will be focused on child protection. There's a lot to look at in child protection in New South Wales. The government spends more than 80% of the money on taking children away and putting them in care, and only a fraction on responding to families in distress and helping them all stay together. Now, David Shoebridge believes that we need to have a big change there and focus far more on early intervention and helping rather than waiting for things to spiral out of control and then taking children away from their families. Well, we'll talk to David about that in about 15 minutes' time. All right, some 60,000 doses of the Pfizer vaccine will be given this week as Phase 1A gets underway of <laughs> Jab Keeper. Is that what we're calling it? Jab Keeper? Something like that. <laughs> one tiny jab for ScoMo, one giant leap for Aussies. Front page of the newspaper today. There he is looking very prime ministerial in his photo opportunity with his Cricket Australia shirt on with ScoMo on the back. But then there was a change of clothes, of course, for another photo. Anyway, victory over the virus is finally in sight. The first vaccine doses have been delivered and Scott Morrison said every step Australia takes now is toward normality. The PM sat with World War II survivor Jane Malasiak who's an 84-year-old. She became the first Australian to receive the Pfizer vaccine uh, before ScoMo rolled up his own sleeve for a jab. Every day from here gets more normal. That's what we've started. The mission to vaccinate all Australians starts today. Will you be getting it? As I said earlier this morning, um, you know, if you want to ring up and talk about the Pfizer vaccine and whether or not you're going to get it, I won't be giving anybody any advice. I mean, it's completely between you and your medical professional. That is, if you have any concerns at all about the Pfizer vaccine, 
And you are scheduled, perhaps in the next week or two weeks, to be a part of the initial rollout, that I would suggest the person you turn to is your doctor. No, don't read about it in the newspapers. Don't listen to what people have to... I mean, certainly you can listen to everybody's point of view on the radio, but don't be guided by what somebody else says. In my opinion, you should be only guided by what your doctor says. All right, the Prime Minister has at least admitted that the culture within Parliament House needs to change because, unfortunately, we've seen yet another allegation. A third woman has come forward alleging sexual assault against the same man the Liberal Party protected and moved on to another job within a government lobbying firm. Yes, the lobbyist promoted his government credentials and contacts on their website during his time there. Unbelievable. Samantha Maiden in the Oz broke this story with a third woman alleging a sexual assault by Liberal staffer as Brittany Higgins will make a formal statement to police. So she'll be doing that today. And this police investigation finally, un, um, well, <clears throat> hopefully, <laughs> at complete arm's length from the federal government and everybody who's been involved in it up until now, Uh, I mean, the police need to be now left alone to do their job and follow up all of the allegations against this bloke who, by all accounts, has been booted out of his job here in Sydney and last we heard had checked himself into Royal North Shore Hospital. I hope his mental health's okay, And I hope that he's not going to play some kind of mental health card when it comes to dealing with these extremely serious allegations. And that's what they are. Extremely serious allegations. And it's not just one woman in Brittany Higgins, but now we hear a further two women have accused the same man of rape. And I'm sorry not even the government this time will be able to protect you. 131269. Doug, good morning. Hi, mate. Just a quick, uh, just a quick uh, thought on the vaccine. Mm. Um, and I was speaking to my doctor about it. I'm, I want to get the Pfizer. Yeah. But um, it, it seems that only the elderly or the serious um, high-risk patients will get the good 92% effective Pfizer. The rest of the nation will get 75% effective AstraZeneca. I think that's horrendous. I'm happy to pay for the Pfizer. But um, that's what I heard. Yeah, let me do a little bit of work on it. Uh, look, uh, yes, uh, the second round, if you like, or phase 1B may include the so-called less effective uh, vaccine. But, look, again, um, I'm just a commentator. I would speak to your doctor about it. I, I'm very, I'm, I want to be very careful when it comes to dealing with vaccinations. And, you know, there's so much still, unfortunately, uh, even though we've had a crackdown on some content, there's still a lot of misinformation out there. And that's why I would suggest to everybody, when it comes to whether or not uh, whatever vaccine that you're eligible for, whatever you're going to do, I would first and foremost consult with your doctor, Doug. Thank you, Marcus. All right, mate. Thanks for the call. 13 12 69. Uh, we're off to the news in just a couple of moments, 13, 12, 69. If you would like to have your say, Marcus Paul, in the morning. 
Uh, as I say, David Chubridge on the program, not long after 7 o'clock. He's also going to have a little chat about Mick Fuller's tilt at the NRL job. Uh, again, I, I'm not critical of Mick Fuller, but I'm critical of the suggestion, perhaps, that he could have moved into this $75,000 role dealing with player behaviour within the National Rugby League. Even though the money that he was going to earn would have been donated to charity, and that's very nice. But again, I'd suggest that Mick Fuller needs to fully concentrate on issues at hand involving policing in New South Wales. We've got an out-of-control gang war taking place in the western suburbs of Sydney, and I would like Mick Fuller's 100% attention on that issue rather than dealing with buffed footballers. It's a professional sporting organisation. Let them deal with it themselves. Unscripted, genuine, and sometimes silly. Marcus Paul in the morning. Yeah, good morning and welcome to the program. It's Monday, February the 22nd. Love to hear what's on your mind this morning. 13 12 69, the telephone number. And emails, MP in the morning at 2SM supernetwork.com. On day one of the Pfizer rollout of COVID vaccines, and about 30-odd thousand people expected uh, to get the jab in coming days around Australia. Meanwhile, I see the New South Wales government says a key plank of its COVID-19 economic response is being delayed because the city of Sydney is dragging its heels in approving critical social housing developments. In a story today in The Herald, Alexandra Smith reports Housing Minister Melinda Pavey says the council is putting politics before people at a time when the economy desperately needed an injection from construction. However, the Sydney of City says it was meeting its obligations, quote-unquote, in excellent time. It's resulted in a bitter dispute over approval times, as the government accuses the Council of Delays, which Miss Pavey says will increase the cost of projects and deny vulnerable people homes. A spokeswoman from, New South, uh, from the Sydney City Council says it's false and misleading to blame the city for the delay in these important social housing projects. Well, hang on, what is the problem here? Why are we playing politics with it? This goes to the office of Clover Moore and also to the office of Melinda Pavey. We know that the New South Wales Treasurer, Dominic Perrottet, has highlighted social housing as a critical stimulant for the economy. With $812 million set aside for new and upgraded housing in last year's budget. Now, a government briefing note prepared for Ms Pavey's office says there are more than 1,000 social housing dwellings awaiting approval from the council, including some 914 in Waterloo, 64 in Elizabeth Street in Redfern, and in Glebe on Cowper Street there are 35. So Redfern has been under consideration for more than a year, while Waterloo was lodged in May last year and is still with council after over 18 months of negotiation with the city. Can we just get on with it? Please, just get on with it. Let's approve these projects as soon as possible, preferably tomorrow, and get this social housing construction underway. I mean, the projects, according to the government, will create some 9,000 jobs with a development spend of $2 billion. 
Now, the council says it's working closely with the state government on these projects, but we all know... Come on, you're not fooling anybody, Clover, and you lot. We all know how councils love to drag their feet on approving DAs. Just get on with it. Get on with it. I mean, the assessment periods need to be quicker and we need to get construction started immediately. David Shoebridge is the Greens MP in the New South Wales government, and he joins us on the program. Dave, good morning, mate. Yeah, good morning, Marcus. Good to see you. Great to have your company. Uh, look, you might have just heard my uh, editorial about this story. Social housing is important, um, and I don't know whether you're on top of what's going on here, but I speak often to one of your colleagues, Gareth Ward. His, one of his key passions is social housing, and we've set aside money in the budget. I'm sure you'd agree that these developments need to start sooner rather than later. Oh, look, absolutely. But the, I think one of the key problems is that we're decades behind where we should be on social housing. You know, in the last 12 months, I think most people would have assumed that during a pandemic, house prices would go down. But instead, you know, it's sort of counter-gravity. They, they, they seem to have kept surging. And meanwhile, we know that there are people who just will never be able to afford their own home in this kind of bizarre private market we have. So, yeah, there's $812 million <clears throat> that's gone into upgrading social housing in New South Wales. That, that's, a, that's a good start, but it's nowhere near what we need. We, we need not, you know, 900 new social housing dwellings. We need thousands and thousands of public housing dwellings built um, so that people can have somewhere to live. But I, I agree with you. They've, they've got to get on and build it. Oh, I will say this for Clover and her team. They are focused, in my experience with them, they're focused on the final the final uh, product yeah. being extremely livable. Sure. And, 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 you know, if we're going to build social housing, <clears throat> hopefully we're building houses that people will be able to live in for, you know, 50 or 100 years. And I think getting social housing right, making them beautiful places that people want to live in, that's actually worth a bit of time. But, you know, I, I, I accept the frustration. I think we all feel it. Yeah, I mean, I get it. But, I mean, that's one of the key things that local governments should be focused on, and that is approving developments, particularly important ones, uh, such as so, social yeah. housing. Uh, and, and, look, sometimes it's because of the nature of the original proposal that's come from the state government. Sometimes yep. the state government just doesn't really care about design on social housing, sure. doesn't care about ensuring there's plenty of breezes through, natural light is a good place to live. And, you know, the city of Sydney has a, a pretty good record on design. You look at that um, that that big new development um, um, out at uh, Central Park there. Um, yes, most people yeah. really like it. That was designed by the City of Sydney. Really intense development, okay. um, but also gorgeous open spaces. Nice place to live. Getting design rights important, I think. All right, mate. Let's move on. <laughs> big week uh, this week. Estimates start. Um, tell me what's happening. Yeah, well, this is the start of what will be three weeks of grilling ministers and bureaucrats to find out, you know, where our money's going and the New South Wales budget, you know. Depends how you look at it, between about 80 and $100 billion a year. There's plenty to keep an eye on. <coughs> so the first day's hearing will be uh, focusing on industrial relations and um, the Aboriginal affairs portfolio. I mean, I have a lot of questions about how we're dealing with First Nations people. So I find that can be quite a frustrating day, though. Why is that? Because you, well, you tend to find the Minister for Aboriginal Affairs has no budget isn't responsible for any project, isn't responsible for fixing anything for First Nations peoples. It's just sort of responsible for a kind of high-level policy. Okay. So you, you spend the day saying, you know, why are so many Aboriginal people living in poverty? Why are so many First Nations peoples 
been dragged before the courts. You know, how can we properly empower First Nations people? Sure. And he says, oh, it's not my problem. Do they, <laughs> do they, do they consider that to be a federal issue? Is that usually what happens there? Do they pass the buck up the line, no. if you like, to Canberra? In that one, they pass the buck to every other minister. You're okay. asking about over-policing? No, it's a police problem. Asking about lack of housing? Oh, it's a housing minister problem. Ask about, you know, lack of support for the kids? Oh, that's a, you know, family and community services problem. And it's just, I, I say to them, you know, why do you exist? You know, you should be focusing on and getting some resources yeah. to sort this stuff out. And uh, that's day one. We'll see how that goes. Uh, day two, though, will be family and community, what used to be family and community services, facts, docs. It's now called the Department of Communities and Justice. And I have a, a real focus on child protection. Mm-hmm. And I we spend, you know, well north of a billion dollars every year on child protection in New South Wales. And in, in my mind, it's, it's almost all misdirected. We're not putting the money where it, where it will do the most good. And I find that very frustrating. Yeah. All right. What else um, will we be looking at certainly this week and into the next week? Well, so, so I think one of the focuses on Friday in this child protection space will yeah. be um, about 80% of the money that we spend looking, are meant to be looking after kids, vulnerable kids, kids who need, need help, families that need help, Eight, about 80%, maybe more, a little bit more, of the money is spent on actually removing kids from families, taking kids away from families that have fallen into, um, um, you know, some, some, some terrible spirals, sure. sometimes poverty, sometimes drugs, mm. and, and less than 20% of the money is spent doing early intervention to stop families spiralling out of control in the first place. So it's like the ambulances, all these ambulances are lined up at the bottom of the cliff and nobody's at the top of the cliff trying to help family before it all goes horribly wrong. And, and you, you, where there's been report after report after report that has said we keep getting this spend wrong. And if you wait for everything to go horribly wrong, not only do you have families torn apart, you know, kids who are in desperate need of protection, yep. um, but you're never going to fix it uh, because, because the, the demand is just, so extreme. So, for example, in the last 12 months, there are about 120,000 um, notifications of kids at risk of serious harm in New South Wales. About 120, maybe a little bit less, but around about 120,000. And uh, less than a third of those kids ever saw a caseworker. Most of the cases were just closed within a month if there hadn't been a second report. Is so- it like a, a <coughs> box ticking exercise? Is it like the, the government? Wants to wants the figures to perhaps suggest that the problem isn't as bad as what, say, you know, you or others are saying it is. Yeah, well, I mean, the government the government um, has done. A, I'll give it credit. Done a little bit of work in this space. Like there used to be a lot of vacancies in caseworkers across New South Wales. Now there are no vacancies. There's about two thousand three hundred caseworkers employed across New South Wales. But we could triple the number of caseworkers, and we still wouldn't see all the kids, and we still wouldn't fix the problems. Because by the time you let things, families spiral out of control, by the time it gets to that point, it's hugely resource intensive. You've got to pay for the, for the assessments. You've got to um, pay for all the caseworkers to remove the kids. You've got to pay for the courts. You've got to pay for the foster parents. You've got to pay for all of that. And that's hugely expensive. And that means you don't have the money that, that we need, which everybody says, you know, if you, if you put a dollar into prevention, you save like $10 down the, tr- down the track in, in terms of social dysfunction. Sure. We don't have the money to put the caseworkers in to help with the housing, mm. to help with those fundamental things that will keep kids safe with their families, keep families functional. And, and that early intervention spend is, is what we need to focus on in this space. We, we could keep employing more caseworkers, keep taking more kids, but that's not, in the end of the day, going to make us any safer. 
Uh, who's the minister in charge of this? Is that Gareth Ward? Yeah, that's Gareth Ward. Okay, that's maybe Gareth we, Ward. we have a chat to Gareth about this uh, that this yeah. week. All right, good to have you on as always. We'll catch up again next week, David. Thank you. Uh, good luck. A very busy uh, week ahead for you, and I'm sure it'll be all <laughs> nose to the <laughs> grindstone, as they say. There's, there's plenty more the fortnight after. You know, police, the whole, the whole box and dice. Well, yeah. Plenty more to speak about, Marcus. Cheers. Thanks, mate. All the best. Sorry. David Shubridge, MP. Uh, and maybe we will try and speak to Gareth Ward. Um, the Minister for Social Security, and he's the man that uh, looks after all of those um, policies. And look, at the, it is a concern. If the government is spending more than 80% of the money on taking children away and putting them in care rather than early intervention, I mean, that means only a fraction is spent on responding to families in distress or intervening, if you like, and helping them stay together. So we do need to have perhaps a look and a change here and a focus far more on early intervention and helping rather than waiting for things to completely and utterly spiral out of control and get to the point where, unfortunately, children are taken away from extremely dysfunctional families. It's a very complex issue. I understand that. And certainly there's no quick fix. Good morning to you all. Podcast Marcus Paul in the morning at any time. Go to 2sm.com.au and click the show page. All right, well, they're calling it the fight back against the COVID-19 pandemic. And it starts today, the broader rollout of this Pfizer vaccine with residents across 240 aged care facilities to start rolling up their sleeves alongside quarantine and border force workers, along with frontline health staff. I see Minister Susan Lee is about to be jabbed down there in Melbourne. Meanwhile, 16 hospital hubs across the country will vaccinate the quarantine border and health workers, while an army of nurses will travel 190 towns in urban and regional areas to start vaccinating elderly aged care residents. Now, the Health Minister, Greg Hunt, confirmed yesterday Chief Medical Officer Paul Kelly and the Chief Nursing Officer Alison McMillan will also receive their first Pfizer vaccine. And the Prime Minister, of course... Apparently vaccinated last. Was he? Not quite sure. Well, he was vaccinated yesterday out there at Castle Hill in yet another pathetic photographic exhibition. I mean, really, this bloke. Honestly. Anyway, thirteen twelve sixty nine. the telephone number. Uh, just get... I mean, did he really have to... I suppose... Yeah, he's the Prime Minister. He's still very popular and... People will follow what he does. I get it all. But, I mean, it's so corny. It's the whole putting on the ScoMo shirt and rolling up the sleeves of the footy jumper and, and then, you know, having a change of costume for the next photo opportunity. Maybe I'm just overly cynical, perhaps. Thirteen, twelve, sixty-nine. the telephone number. Some of our largest companies have received almost a half a billion dollars in taxpayer money under the JobKeeper scheme in the past six months with many choosing not to hand the money back to the government while booking profits and paying out dividends. You know, we've been talking about this at length with Federal Minister Andrew Lee. He's done some brilliant work in this area. He has clawed back literally tens of millions of dollars by publicly naming and shaming these companies. 
analysis an analysis of 200 Australian stock exchange companies that have delivered results in the most recent reporting period shows that $486.1 million has been paid out under the government's flagship wage subsidy scheme. And although a string of companies have voluntarily elected to repay the government, at least 16 JobKeeper recipients that booked a profit or paid dividends have refused to hand the money back or stayed silent on the matter. It's a stark contrast to companies such as Cochlear and Collins Food, which have pledged to repay $21.3 million and $1.8 million of JobKeeper, respectively. Others who have pledged to repay the funds include Super Retail Group, Domino's Pizza. Well, gee, haven't they done well? Domino's Pizza. Pizza. <laughs> uh, Nick Scarley. Nick Scarley is also going to return some of the money. I mean, the JobKeeper program has stoked increasing tensions across corporate Australia. The scheme was put in place as a temporary measure to protect jobs as the economy was, uh, well, obviously uh, heading in toward a downward spiral during COVID-19 as the shock started to take hold, I guess, in the middle of, or certainly March or April of last year. But anyway, there has been a faster-than-expected economic recovery and surging profits among some recipients has raised suggestions as to whether the program should be treated as a low-cost loan. While the JobKeeper subsidies are passed on to staff, it has the effect of substantially lowering a company's wages bill. Now, that's, that's all fine and good, but if companies have done extremely well and posted big profits during this period, well, I think it's only fair, and they've paid dividends and they've given bon- executive bonuses, etc. I think it's only fair then, is it not, that they repay this money back? I mean, there are some of the biggest ones that <laughs> just refuse to. Let's have a look here. An analysis of corporate accounts by The Weekend Australian shows that across 16 companies, a total of $236.1 million in JobKeeper payments were reported as received in the six months to December last year against a collective $1.84 billion in profit, while several paid out dividends to investors over and above what they received from the scheme. One of the largest recipients to still record a profit was Star Entertainment, which received $103 million in JobKeeper payments due to the closure of its casinos. At the same time, Star posted a $51 million profit. I mean, there's a stack of others. A stack of other companies. Property listings group Domain was paid $6.5 million via JobKeeper in the December half and delivered nearly $20 million in profit. Domain is 60% owned by Nine Entertainment and they push back a decision on whether to pay a dividend. But will they repay any of the $6.5 million they receive from Australian taxpayers? Well, I'd hope so. But by far and away, perhaps one of the, the biggest, if you like, and one that I know Andrew Lee will continue to uh, chase up is Solomon Lou's Premier Investments. Now, it's come under immense pressure to repay $68.7 million in JobKeeper subsidies after delivering a record $138 million profit 
for the 2020 calendar year. So come on, start paying that money back. And apparently Mr. Lou himself received some $4.1 million as a bonus at the end of last year, is what Andrew Lee tells me. And Premier Investments recorded a massive $138 million profit. Well, of course they did. Because $68.7 million of their wages bill was covered by you and me who go to work each and every day. Four-wheel drive accessories manufacturer and retailer ARB more than doubled their profits to $54 million over the same period, announcing to shareholders on Tuesday that they would pay out a dividend worth $23.4 million. How much JobKeeper did they get? $9.8 million. They're going to pay it back? Well, they should. Gambling giant Tabcorp reported $8 million in JobKeeper revenue while booking $185 million in profit. Again, they'll pay out a dividend. Thank you to Australian taxpayers. Mervac received $13 million while paying out $188 million to shareholders via dividends after recording a $276 million profit. Now, some companies have defiantly argued their right not to repay the government. CarSales.com CEO Cameron McIntyre, who received $5 million in JobKeeper against a $61.3 million profit and a $61.5 million in dividends paid out, told The Weekend Australian the scheme did for the company what it was intended to do. OK, what was that? Keep people in employment. That's wonderful. That is great. But if, if you've made big profits then surely that money that was provided to you from the taxpayers of Australia, borrowed money, mind you, that my kids and my grandkids and yours will have to pay back at some point, surely you can help a little by returning the JobKeeper payments. 13, 12, 69, if you'd like to have you say. 16 minutes away from 8 o'clock. Marcus Paul in the morning. 2SM Sydney traffic. Carlingford, Bennett Hills Road approaching North Rocks Road. Semi-trailer breakdown northbound lanes 1 and 2 closed. Rouse Hills, Gofields Road approaching Windsor Road. A car broken down northbound. Looking at heavy traffic south across drive inside the eastern distributor. And right the way through to Cleveland Street to Citibound direction. The remarkable new Hyundai i30 in five-door hatch. Or the all-new i30 sedan is remarkable value. Get the i30 hatch from just 25490 Test drive the Hyundai i30 today. Until latest traffic with Marcus Paul in the morning to SM12. If you're looking to start a business, buying a franchise is an excellent option and with all group franchises, you'll have ongoing support. The home services industry is experiencing rapid growth as people are too busy to maintain their homes. All group franchises offers a range of home services franchise options, including lawns and gardens and you'll be trained in every aspect. Visit allgroupfranchises.com.au or call 0429 691 that's 0429-691-413. Get 20% off the OzClean range now at Woolworths. The OzClean range of cleaning products is free from hazards often found in other common household cleaning products. 
Ausclean's range covers the entire house, including kitchen, bathroom, laundry and living room, even carpets. Ausclean cleaning products actually work. They're eco-friendly and 100% Australian made and owned. Get 20% off the Ausclean range... Now at Woolworths. A custom designed lounge made right here in Sydney to your exact requirements at a special direct from the factory wholesale price. That's what you get from Chili Pip Lounge Designs. Every lounge made in the Chili Pip factory comes with a 10 year warranty. Mention you heard about it here and receive free fabric protection with your order valued over $300. Go to Chili Pip, that's C H I L I P I P dot com dot AU or phone 1300. 797516. Recently retired and want to give back to the community? Looking to contribute to a worthwhile cause? Join View Clubs of Australia, a friendly women's network in your local community. View supports the Smith family to help Australian children in need break the cycle of poverty. Become a member today. Call 1800 805 366 or go to view.org.au. When it comes to the management of pain and inflammation associated with osteo and other mild forms of arthritis, stiff, sore and sorry pain relief gel may assist you. Always read the label, use only as directed, and if symptoms persist, see your healthcare professional. Look for stiff, sore and sorry pain relief gel at pharmacies and health food stores everywhere. To find the location of your nearest stiff, sore and sorry stockers, go to loveallcollection.com.au or phone Ray 0406 Email us, check out our podcasts and listen live to smsupernetwork.com. Marcus Paul has Sydney talking. All the news and the views. Marcus Paul, weekdays from 5am on 2SM. Okay, 13 minutes away from 8. What is it with the Prime Minister? How about you call Miss Higgins, Miss Higgins, rather than Brittany? I mean, this over-familiarity is it's a little creepy. It's a small thing, I guess, in the context of the hugely shocking event and of an alleged rape happening on the couch of a minister's office in Parliament House. But the Prime Minister's persistent use of the alleged victim's first name, Brittany, in his many statements on the matter this week, was revealing. She was not Miss Higgins. She was not a former staff member. She was Brittany. The girl who could have been one of the Prime Minister's daughters. A girl whose feelings were hurt who was traumatised, whose privacy damn well should have been respected. It may not have been deliberate, but the persistent use of Higgins' first name and the Prime Minister's comments about consulting his wife Jenny on how to handle the alleged rape all gave the impression that this was a matter to do with women's feelings. Now, women's feelings is a private emotional realm tricky to navigate and best left to the ladies has little to do with male leaders and nothing to do with important matters of state. Mr Morrison said that after learning of the report of Higgins' alleged rape, in April 2019, he consulted his wife, who has a way of clarifying things for him. She said to me, you have to think about this as a father first. What would you want to happen if it were our girls? The implication was very clear. Unlike, say, relations with China, 
or the finer points of gas extraction policy. This was one for a lady advisor, a maternal figure who could discreetly counsel the Prime Minister on the sensitive feminine nature of the matter. In other words, rape is simply women's business. It was probably well-meaning, but the problem with that formulation is that it minimises what should be an obvious point. Rape is a bloody crime. It's a violent crime that strips its victims of dignity, power and security. It should not happen anywhere, but it certainly shouldn't happen in the nation's seat of power. And it shouldn't be treated as something for women to handle among themselves with discretion and privacy until it morphs into a political problem, at which point operatives will be deployed for a quick and fast clean-up. It's the Liberal way, apparently. Higgins herself accused the Prime Minister of using victim-blaming language. It reminded us of August 2018, when former MP Julia Banks quit the Liberal Party, claiming that she'd been subjected to sexist bullying and intimidation in the aftermath of the coup against Malcolm Turnbull. They've got a bloody problem there. Scott Morrison said at the time, my first concern is for banks' welfare and well-being, and she's taking the time to ensure that it's taken care of. It made it sound as though banks had experienced a nervous breakdown, when in fact she'd called attention to what she said was a sexist Liberal Party culture. The courage of Miss Higgins in hauling herself into the open demonstrates the strength of the urge of the victim to be acknowledged and heard. She should be. It's nearly two years later now. And Miss Higgins is no longer working for the government. But her drive for some form of justice is so powerful that hopefully she'll receive some. We all know what happens to women who speak out. Higgins herself accused the Prime Minister of using victim-blaming language. She set herself against the Goliath of the political establishment. Following her alleged assault, she had some initial contact with police before deciding against pursuing a formal complaint. Julia Banks announcing her decision in 2018 to quit the Liberal Party and join the crossbench, well, it was kind of met, if you like, with a similar type of, well, disinterest. People sometimes ask why victims go public with stories like these, rather than take it to trial, for instance. The answer is in the low conviction rates for sexual assault. And it is in the courtroom tactics of every barrister who has stood up at the bar table for cross-examination intent on destroying the alleged victim's credibility. But Brittany Higgins is especially brave. On Friday, she released a statement saying she would pursue a full police investigation. Let's hope she can do so unhindered and without people like Defence Minister Linda Reynolds breathing down her neck and without a Prime Minister who simply likes to call her Brittany as if she were one of his own daughters. Dave, you got an early joke for me, mate? Where did Robin Hood buy his flowers? Where did Robin Hood buy his flowers from, Dave? Sherwood Florist. Oh. Of course he did. Sherwood Florist. It's a beauty. 
Okay, welcome back to the program. Just gone five minutes after eight on this Monday, February 22. Uh, emails, MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. Neil, Neil Taylor. Uh, you're always so negative, Neil. Marcus, how come you're happy for doctors to advise on, well, I think you mean to say vaccination, but you've written vacation, but not on treatment? Neil, do I really need to explain it? I will. Because doctors act with the knowledge of each individual case. Neil, you know, they know their patient's medical history. Also, doctors act on the best consensus of medical health advice. Not from quacks on Facebook like Craig Kelly and the dude who was a glorified kitchen head. I hope that clears it up a little bit for you. Uh, Lynn, good morning to you and thank you for your email. Uh, Marcus, it's so important that what happens to Brittany Higgins is spoken about until the truth is known. How lucky for Scott Morrison with the timing of the vaccine rollout. Jody Mackay was crucified the other day for suggesting that Mick Fuller should not accept the offer from the NRL. Um, said that perhaps, oh, OK. Uh, what, so they're still running a smear campaign against Jody, are they? Well, nobody else is. 13 12 69, the telephone number. And this one from Les Marcus, if ever there was a photo op in BS artists like this PM. Uh, are you talking about, yes, enlarge the picture and see it for yourself? No, no, look, that's not true. You've written in your email, Les, that the injection still had the orange needle uh, or the cover. No, 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 that's been, that myth has been debunked. The Prime Minister did receive a COVID injection yesterday. Alrighty, 13, 12, 69. Pete, are you there, mate? Yes, hi, Marcus. How are you doing? All right, thanks for holding on. Pete, what's on your mind? No, uh, yes, no worries. Um, look, your, your remark about um, the familiarity of using Miss Higgins' first name by the PM, I agree that familiarity breeds contempt. I think um, as a, uh, a news person and uh, as a punter, you and I, should set an example and stop calling Mr. Morrison ScoMo and Mr. Albanese Albo because it's, uh, it's symptomatic of the same issue. The other thing is, I think if uh, Morrison, Mr. Morrison had referred to her as Miss Higgins, one of his own colleagues, it probably would have dehumanised her a little bit. So I think the fact that he's used the first name is probably an indication of his sympathy for the situation, and I'm sure they'll be investigated. And I don't think anybody should be convicted before the evidence comes in. No, absolutely not. I uh, My issue, first and foremost, because I have some background on this, my issue is how, uh, and I wouldn't be speaking out against it so strongly if I hadn't been advised, but uh, my problem is the way that the thing was covered up, the fact that this young woman should have been assisted and helped and enabled to go to the police and report this incident first and foremost without fear of retribution or perhaps losing her job. And I'm sorry, mate, there's plenty of evidence uh, that more of it will most likely come out in the courts, but there's plenty of evidence to suggest that, well, um, it was covered up and that the announcements uh, of a an impending federal election was far more important for the Prime Minister's office than dealing with this allegation of rape, this very serious allegation that happened in a senior minister's uh, office on a couch. And, look, again, I think that's the bigger issue. The allegation itself will be tested in court, 
but for my, uh, for all intents and purposes, there is a culture there in Canberra that enables this kind of behaviour to flourish. And it's not an isolated incident. I can assure you of that. And much, much more probably will come from this. And hopefully some lessons will be learnt that this culture of, of cover-up, this culture of, you know, the inequality of power, the power balance between, you know, MPs and junior female members of staff, etc. I've seen it firsthand, trust me. I've seen it firsthand. Some of these young blokes have let the power go to their heads. And they think that they're above and beyond the law and above and beyond what is deemed by normal, everyday Australians as respectful behaviour toward women in particular. And it needs to stop. G'day, Susan. How are you? Good morning, Marcus. Thank you very much for taking my call. All right. How did your weddings go the other day? Oh, lovely, lovely. Two weddings in one day last Friday. It was a very, (laughs) very busy weekend, but I, I made it to both and... It was lovely. Thank you. Hope the third one doesn't come true. What's that? Two weddings and a funeral. Isn't it four weddings and a funeral, though? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's four. (laughs) That's all right. I've only gone to two. Okay. (laughs) We'll leave that. I just want to talk about Scott Morrison's rule. Here we go again. I was wrong. He's not kissing babies. He's using old ladies. Ooh. Well, look, yes, there was. I thought it was just a little bit uncomfortable yesterday. Uh, again, he, he hasn't learned his lesson from forcing people down on the south coast to shake hands, and now he's... he's... Yeah, but, yeah, but that's, you know, like uh, with, with the uh, fiasco with the nursing homes and whatnot, I mean, that's, that, that's a very pathetic thing to do, isn't it? Unfortunately, though, uh, Marcus, technology, it, it offers some unlimited choice of spreading the blame, blame of their inadequacies, you know, like uh, this passing the buck thing, you know. Did you know what the new word for politicians is? Tell me. Everything is in the reviews box. Reviewed. It's being reviewed. It has. <laughs> we're reviewing it. All right. Yes. Or start some... counting that word. Yeah. Or I haven't been briefed on that. I haven't been briefed. I'll await a briefing from my staff. Thank you, Susan. Thirteen twelve sixty nine. The telephone number. And now on Marcus Paul in the Morning, Socially Speaking, with Nicole Fay, thanks to Local Edge Marketing. Oh boy, what a week it's been for social media. Hello, Nikki. Hello, Marcus. Oh, seems like you've survived. We've Come survived. On. And and not only have we survived, we are flourishing. Um, yeah. Can you believe it? We've got, what, some thirteen to 14,000 likes and followers and um, yeah. we're Thank reaching you. a million people. I know, those metrics, when it, when I saw your screenshot of those page metrics, I must admit it's something I've never seen in my career. I don't know. I don't Incredible. know. We're cutting, we're cutting through, obviously, which is good for us, and uh, all we're about yeah. is hopefully getting some accountability, uh, and that's what we've that's right. always been about. Anyway, uh, what does all of this change mean for, in particular, <sighs> small businesses? Look, I feel as though... Look, when I read the news that morning, the first thing I thought of was our customers, the way we um, push out some of our content is obviously going to change. Um, look, a really a really easy way for a business to, I guess, 
present themselves as an authority on the platform is to share and comment on news content. So really, in a nutshell, for small business, I feel like it's not going to affect them too much. They're just simply not going to be able to share and comment on news articles. Um, Doesn't that, sorry, Nikki, doesn't that declutter, though, uh, Facebook? And ironically, they're called news feeds, but won't that declutter Facebook in some way, shape or form and allow small businesses uh, to perhaps stand out a little more on that platform? Look, in a perfect world, yes, we we will see. Time will tell. Mm. Um, At the moment, I know I've mentioned it before, but Facebook is becoming um, what they call a pay-to-play platform. So generally, businesses that are spending decent ad spend each and every month on the platform, Mm. um, obviously, they're they're going to get the better results as opposed to pages who don't. Um, Yeah, it's, it's... Really, really going to be interesting the next few months. Um, And even to see if Facebook will pull back what they've done. Um, What they've done is definitely a stroke of power. Yeah. Um, And, you know, it's pretty much their way of just saying, you know, well, we, we didn't really want your news content anyway. We didn't ask for it. Well, no. We so this is that the, vital. See, this is the ironic part of the whole thing. You've got yeah. uh, News Corp and others who are uh, look, Nikki. There are politically, there are one hundred and fifty percent behind this. They've pressured the prime minister. They've pressured an yeah. LNP government, uh, basically saying, "Well, we want our share of the uh, the money." Uh, this bloke yeah. Zuckerberg has been using our content to make millions of dollars, etc. Um, yeah. We want our share. But I mean, the irony is, of course, that. Facebook itself hasn't been sharing the content. These news organisations have been using the Facebook platform, if you like, yeah. like I do, like our show does, yeah. like other businesses do, to get their, you know, to get their brand out there or their, their whatever it is, their content out there. Yeah. It's not as if Mark Zuckerberg's been pinching it. They've been offering it up freely. They, ha- they have. And I feel like where, I guess, the penny drops for them is they're generating so... Because obviously the content is shareable. People are wanting to share the news content. It's very important. Um, that's generating so much money for Zuckerberg with the ads. And they, they've just had enough and said, we want our share. Um, look, I do see, I do see their side. Um, and having studied journalism as well, I do, I do see both sides. Yeah. So it, it's oh, it's been a really, really interesting week. Well, we've survived and, um, without Facebook before. That is, journos, uh, you yeah. know, creators of news content. We've survived without I mean, God, when I first started, <laughs> there wasn't even yeah. an internet. It was when people read papers and, I know. you know, I know. watched the news and listened to the radio. I think radio itself uh, and hopefully newspaper publications, but radio in particular will, and talk back and, and news services on radio will be the beneficiary of this in the oh, short term, hopefully. Absolutely. And what I was going to say, I, I had a quick look. I feel like why, why your pages come unscathed is you're not actually listed as one of the categories that they would have wiped. Mm. What other categories? Just... Um, it would definitely be anything to do with broadcasting, broadcaster, um, and the news slash publication mm. um, category, and because you're listed as public figure, you could be any public figure. 
Yeah. Well, it's the same. Yeah. It's it's the same with uh, you know a number of. I noticed news organisations pages have gone, but yeah. you know, for instance, their their presenters pages themselves still remain. So it's not just me. I mean, Ben Fordham's page is still there. Ray Hadley's page is still there, etc. Yeah, because they're yeah they're more than likely listed as public figure. Mm. So yeah, and like Facebook did make a few errors and did cut off some of the wrong pages, and they did say they were going to reverse it. Yeah. I haven't actually seen if that's happened just yet. Oh, a lot of it um, has, Nikki. A lot of it has. Oh, okay. Yeah. So which is good. Uh, yes. Really good because uh, you know we, you need to have in regional areas in particular you need to oh. have important services whether it's police um, emergency yeah. services announcements etc. I mean yes it is news but it's of vital importance to communities that otherwise mm-hmm. don't have a a big uh, you know a big cross section of different alternate views. So yes, yep. that's very very true. All right, Nikki, where do we go uh, to read up on the latest in social? All right, so you just simply type into your search engine, mm-hmm. um, Google, local edge marketing, yeah. and you'll find us. You can find us on Facebook. You'll find us You're on still Instagram. There. Always happy to help. <laughs> yeah, we're still there. Good to hear. All right, yeah. well, any small businesses that might need some tips on how to sparkle and shine on social media, make sure you get in touch with Nikki. Good to chat, mate. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Marcus. You have a great week. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Get in contact with Marcus anytime. Connect with us at 2smsupernetwork.com. Email us. Check out our podcasts and listen live. 2smsupernetwork.com. Here, I won't mention the person's name. They wish to remain anonymous at 22 and a half after eight. Marcus, firstly, I would like to remain anonymous. I'm a 58-year-old male who is currently in the workers' compensation system as the result of a workplace sexual assault from a female work colleague. I've been diagnosed with complex uh, post-traumatic stress disorder and have had inpatient admissions to psychiatric hospitals dealing with the anxiety, depression and shame that followed. Sexual assault does not discriminate. All genders and sexual orientation are potential victims. Bias in reporting does not always offer all genders equal representation. Thanks for your assistance and kind regards. Well, thank you for that email. Very brave. And I am sorry that you've been through what you've been through and I I do wish you all the very best, and I hope you recover. The very underrated air supply, Graham Russell, Russell Hitchcock. They met when they were performing in Jesus Christ Superstar together and formed the band Air Supply and had eight top ten singles in the United States in the 80s. Yet they're pretty much forgotten these days, not on this program. Sydney's own 2SM 1269. Now on Marcus Paul in the morning. 
The Queen Bee of the Newsroom, Diane Coveney Garland. Okay, 22 minutes away from 9 o'clock. Good morning to you, Daisy. Morning. How was your weekend? Uh, very nice, fairly quiet compared yeah. to yours, though. Oh, I made it. I made it to you both of the weddings. You made it to two weddings, yeah. Oh, two. Well done. It was beautiful. I have to say, my sister's wedding, uh, Emma, congratulations to you and Glenn. It was just amazing at Barara Waters. Oh, it looked beautiful, the photos. Yeah. But it was so hot. Yes. Uh, well, when I say it was hot, it was steamy because was that, there, it was kind of the storm heat. Even though I don't think there was a storm after that, You're was You're absolutely there? right. The humidity, I reckon it must have been up around 90-odd percent. <laughs> and it was amazing. Uh, but it was beautiful. But I got there and I had a vest and a tie and a mm. suit and all the rest of it on, three-piece suit. I ended up having to take the vest off. Because <laughs> it was oh, it was too hot, and of course you're out there on the water because the only way to get to where the um, function was and mm. where she had a, her uh, reception, etc., was via boat. Uh, and I tell you what, on more than one occasion, I wanted to strip off and Just, go for a swim. Oh, I get that. I went to a wedding in Cairns once, mm. which was beautiful. Oh, Cairns. But my hair is that has the frizzy tendency, being kind of oh, curly, yeah, but... and uh, went to the hairdresser, got my hair done, got mm. my makeup done, and at the end of the day, I was like, look, I could have just turned up. Uh, in a really nice dress, looking like I normally look, because yeah, yeah. the hair just turned into a fuzzball and the mm. makeup just dripped off. But oh. Oh, beautiful wedding, but oh, that heat! Yeah. Anyway, that was lovely. And then I, uh, from there, uh, we had a, a six-course. <gasps> what are they called? Degustation. Degustation. Oh, nice. Unbelievable. So I ate, and I ate, <laughs> and then I hopped in the car and I drove down to Barrel mm-hmm. uh, for my uh, for my fiance's brother's wedding. And that was a lovely affair as well. Uh, it was beautiful. Um, no expense spared. It was at a at um, one of the beautiful vineyard estates down there in, in Barrel. And uh, it was just a wonderful occasion. And he's a traditional. He had he was dressed up in a Scottish kilt. And oh, nice. It was really lovely. And, everybody, and Ash um, was a bridesmaid and she looked, oh, you're not supposed to outshine the bride. <laughs> I can say that because Jeremy and Megan, who got married, are actually up in Hayman Island at the moment. And they can't Honeymooning, hear. they can't hear it. But anyway, um, but it was, yeah, again, it was, uh, it was gorgeous. But you could tell the difference. I got there and I could put the vest back on and it was comfortable. Mm, uh, yep. Very different. But, gee, the Southern Highlands is looking so green. Beautiful, and isn't just it? amazing yeah. at the moment. Uh, you know, it's just a gorgeous part of... Uh, of of the world, it certainly is, and yeah. I think um, you know um, someone has their heart set on perhaps getting married down there very well the nice, next year or two. Nice. Have we set a next, date yet? When year. I say we, have you and Ash set a date next yet? year? Next year, sometime. Okay, twenty twenty two. You see the photo. Uh, what she does uh, is every few hours she sends me a photograph, either with the you know with the left hand sitting over a glass of water saying, don't forget, baby, drink water. <laughs> she's showing off the ring. And today she's, uh, she works over in the, uh, in the city uh, in a skyscraper, and the weather's beautiful here in Sydney this morning. So she's put a picture up of, uh, of the view outside. With the with diamond a, in the middle of it? With the finger up, <laughs> with the ring finger up saying, how nice is this uh, weather today? Yep, and she's actually saying, how nice is this diamond as well? Thank you. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Di. We'll hear you on the news after 9 o'clock during the John Law. Oh, in fact, you've been on all morning. Are, yep. you, are you solo Monday I these days? I am solo. 
Yeah, we've got somebody holidaying at the moment. Yeah, we've got a couple of people. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. good on them. All right, Di, we'll talk to you soon. Thank See you. Ya. Our Queen Bee of the Newsroom, Diane Coveney Garland, at 17 to 9. We'll go to the uh, camera in just a couple of moments. Christina in the capital, the national COVID 19 vaccine rollout is set to begin in full today. We'll talk to Christina about that. As we know, a third woman has alleged she was sexually assaulted by the government adviser accused of raping former Liberal staffer Brittany Higgins. And Treasurer Josh Frydenberg has been speaking with Facebook to work through its issues with the Media Bargaining Code. All the details from Canberra with Christina right after this. USM Sydney Traffic. Dundas Valley, Marsden Road approaching Stewart Street. A truck broken down southbound in the right turn lane. Zetland Southern Cross Drive, Link Road. Two car accident southbound direction. Very heavy, the Hugh Matterway, Brooks Road, Ingleburn, northbound Seaforth over the Speed Bridge and down towards Mossman. Very heavy here, traffic city bound. Why pay for a new phone up front when you can Optus Pay? Get your phone now and pay over time completely interest free when you're with Optus. Visit them today. T's and C's apply. That's the latest traffic with Marcus Paul in the morning on 2SM 1260. G'day, Murphy's here. Summer is here, and that means two things. Our big quicks are steaming in on the pitch, and your car's aircon needs to be on top of its mark. Your off stump will be blown away by the aircon service at your local Repco Authorised Service Centre. Their fully qualified mechanics will keep you cool all year with a comprehensive service on your car's aircon system, no matter what you drive. Book online today at repcoservice.com. G'day, Doug the Tradie here. The right insurance is the safety gear you need on every job site. With IMAR, you'll get the cover you need, like public liability, tools and personal accident and illness quickly. And for a limited time, save up to 120 bucks when you buy all three online. Save some quick bucks in a few simple steps. Head to imar.com.au and get a quote, get covered, get working. Now the trade is, mate, that's IMAR. If you're looking to start a business, buying a franchise is an excellent option. And with All Group Franchises, you'll have ongoing support. The home services industry is experiencing rapid growth as people are too busy to maintain their homes. All Group Franchises offers a range of home services franchise options, including lawns and gardens, and you'll be trained in every aspect. Visit allgrouppranchises.com.au or call 0429 691 413. That's 0429 691 413. Hi. Kirk Pengilly from In Excess here. And whether it's music, sweet things, puppies, movies, we all love our treats. But our eyes need treating too. 300,000 Australians, including me, are affected by glaucoma. Diagnosed early, glaucoma can be managed. Left undiagnosed, it can cause blindness. So treat yourself by treating your eyes to a simple test. Book your test at treatyoureyes.org.au today. Danny's Seafood Restaurant offers everything you'd expect when dining out. A superb location, outstanding value, excellent service and an extensive menu catering for all tastes. Anytime is a good time for beautiful, fresh seafood. And if you haven't yet tried Danny's famous fish and chips, do it soon. Other popular choices include fresh lobster, oysters and crabs, as well as tender, juicy steaks and pastas. Danny's Seafood Restaurant, boasting spectacular water views over Botany Bay, Anzac Parade, La Perouse. All the news and your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. Now on Marcus Paul in the morning. I have always believed in miracles. The latest from the capital. With Christina Rosengren. 
And lots happening this morning. Just before I go to Christina, an email here in relation to news bargaining codes. Um, Christopher says, Marcus, I don't feel like people are grasping that old media are wanting to be paid for being linked to. Facebook is not displaying full news articles. They're displaying a headline and a blurb uh, to which then a user clicks on it and they're taken to the news company site. Just because the news sites are failing to capture revenue from uh, there is hardly Facebook's fault. The news bargaining code makes as much sense as getting commercial radio to pay the people they advertise, which would obviously break their business model. It's bizarre backwards economics. It's a really good way of putting it. Christopher and I tend to agree with you, to be honest. Okay, uh, 13 to 9. Good morning, Christina. Good morning, Marcus. Well, as we know, ScoMo's been jabbed. Uh, The national COVID-19 vaccine rollout has begun. Yes, so uh, yesterday, you're correct, Prime Minister Scott Morrison became one of the first people to receive the first dose of the Pfizer vaccine, and he's described this rollout as a game-changer. And this uh, first phase officially starts today. So most states and territories have now received their first batches of the Pfizer candidate, and they've been taken to 240 aged care centres in almost 200 towns and suburbs. And the government expects 60,000 doses to be administered by the end of this week. Now, this distribution is being managed by the state, but as a whole, it's a Commonwealth-led program. So the Commonwealth decides sort of how how these uh, vaccine doses, where these doses go, which states and territories. The vaccine is free to all of those who want to receive it. But of course, there is a priority list. Those at increased risk of contracting the virus will be given the jab first, and that includes border and hotel quarantine workers, along with frontline healthcare staff. Now, the vaccine that most Australians will be receiving will be different to the one given to frontline workers. Uh, We will likely receive Oxford AstraZeneca, uh, which is the candidate we had the most of. And the hope is that most of the Australian population will be vaccinated by October or November this year. All right. A third woman, as we know, has alleged she was sexually assaulted by the government adviser accused of raping former Liberal staffer Brittany Higgins. Christina? Yes, it's a really sad story, but News Corp is reporting that there's a woman who says that in 2016, when she was barely out of school and she was working as a coalition volunteer for the 2016 election campaign, she went out with other volunteers for drinks, including with the former Morrison government advisor who was accused of raping Brittany Higgins. She says this male staffer bought her several rounds of strong drinks and then took her back to his hotel room where the alleged sexual assault occurred. Uh, This woman says that she didn't go to police or tell friends or family because she was severely embarrassed. She said hearing Ms Higgins' story was so eerily similar that she realised this probably meant that this person has a pattern of behaviour. And she's elected to remain anonymous, but she's provided News Corp with a statutory declaration. And this, of course, comes as Brittany Higgins is preparing to make a formal statement to the Australian Federal Police this week, on Wednesday, actually. And there are now four separate reviews looking into this allegation, along with the workplace culture and supportive processes for staff in Parliament House. But obviously, there are still so many questions remaining about who knew what and when Mm. and how this uh, case was handled. Yeah, lots of questions still to be uh, answered, and hopefully, um, that now hopefully now the process can move into a legal sphere. We can stop talking about it, and police can do their jobs, and I'm sure they will. Treasurer Josh Frydenberg has been speaking with Facebook to work through its issues with the media bargaining code. 
Yes, so as we know, Facebook's banned news content on its platform for Australian users, and that's a sort of protest over the government's media bargaining code, and this is the code which would force it to pay for Australian news publishers for their content. Uh, The government's been quite critical of this news ban, particularly because it's affected pages and accounts of non-media organisations such as uh, state health departments and emergency services, so Facebook has said that they were inadvertently swept up in this ban, and they were working to remove those blocks. Uh, But the age is reporting that the federal government is attempting to resolve this dispute with Facebook. So Treasury uh, has been working through the details of this code. Treasurer Josh Frydenberg has been speaking with Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, and he says they've been talking through uh, the different interpretations of specific provisions. But the media code legislation could be passed by Parliament with the support of Labor as early as this week. And uh, Finance Minister Simon Birmingham has commented in an interview with the ABC this morning that he's confident the legislation won't be amended to appease Facebook. So it's still very much an evolving situation. All right. Uh, latest news poll is out, by the way. Uh, Scott Morrison riding high in the opinion polls at 61%. And Anthony Albanese's dropped from, well, 29%, which was low, to an even lower 26%. That's a concern for yeah. Albo and... I hope it doesn't re-spark further conversations about a leadership change. That's something that really is the last thing that federal Labor lead. But, look, importantly, two-party preferred is still locked at 50-50. So it's still anyone's election should it be called later this year, Christina. Yes, that's correct. All right. Thank you. We'll hear your reports today across the Super Radio Network. Thanks very much. Thank you. There she is, our reporter in Canberra, Christina, in the capital. 